The exploration of archetypes is one of the most important maps that we can use to guide us along our journey through life. So in this podcast, we talk about the king-queen archetype and the warrior-huntress archetype with none other than my favorite people on the planet, Kyle Kingsbury, Eric Godsey, and Caitlin Howe. A quick word, this week's podcast is brought to you by Fit for Service, Lucy, and Onnit. Go to aubreymarcus.com slash fitforservice, lucy.co slash amp, and onnit.com slash aubrey for 10% off. So as I was saying about this podcast on archetypes, I think it's really important to understand that these archetypes are within us. It's not like we're one of these different things and the only thing that we are is a king or a warrior or a magician or a lover. We're all of them. And there's different ways that we can express these archetypes in the most productive and the highest way. And then there's ways that we can express them in the shadow way. But if we don't understand the archetypes, we have no room to navigate and we have no guide star to guide ourselves. So this podcast is divided into two parts. I hope you guys love it. It was one of the favorite recordings that I've done this year, partly because how much I love all of my co-hosts, but also because this topic is incredibly important and something I'm deeply passionate about. So before we get started, I'm going to read through all of the different advertisements for this week's podcast. This is a new way that I'm going to highlight my sponsors. And just so y'all know, these sponsorships are incredibly important for supporting the team and supporting the podcast. So if you can, give them a listen. I wouldn't be talking about anything that I wasn't passionate about. So hopefully these services and products will be something that's really accretive to your life. So first and foremost, I want to talk to you guys about Fit for Service. At this table, recording this podcast, are the Fit for Service core coaches. We've all gone through our experiential journey, and the way that we orient ourselves to the Fit for Service community is not through a hierarchy. We're sitting right there, ass on the grass with everybody, going through the transformational practices and reaching out and creating this community. I mean, when I'm going through something hard and when things are challenging and difficult, it's the Fit for Service community that I'm reaching out to, along with these coaches here at the table and along with a few select people but this is a community that I'm not only helping to lead, but that I'm a part of. And the beauty of this is what we're able to share together, the transformation, the vulnerability, the ability to see each other. It is actually accessing one of the deepest human drives, and that's the drive for connection. And that drive for connection is so, so primal and primordial to who we are. I mean, there's hormones that get released when we give somebody a hug, it's called oxytocin. There's ways in which we're actually programmed for human connection. And the psychological effects of really being seen and having people there radically supporting you, not for your shiny projections and your avatars and your gifts and your talents, but really for the raw, messy, and, and ultimately beautiful truth of who you are. And that's what Fit for Service is all about. It's about finding ways that we can first become fit for service so that we can be of greater service to each other and the world. So it's been an amazing experience for two years so far in 2021. We're going to be going to some amazing places around the world for our summits. We're going to be bringing in the best master coaches, many of whom you've heard on this podcast, and also incredible musical guests, and just going through both celebration and transformation together as a tribe. So if you're interested, if you're called, please check it out. The survey results are showing that 100% of people found that they formed one or more lifelong friendships. Over 51% of people had some advancement 
in their business or a new business partnership that came about because of the members. There's been everything that you would expect from a tribe, and I hope to see you on the inside. So please apply if this is something that you're called to, aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. Once again, aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. And I can't wait to meet some of you on the inside. Applications are open until December 15th. Our next sponsor is Lucy. And Lucy is one of the best delivery mechanisms for nicotine. It's a nicotine gum that's not like Nicorette or something like that. It tastes great and it delivers nicotine with the purpose being to utilize this as a nootropic as a way to actually enhance brain function. And if you read my book, Own the Day, I talk about all of the different ways that nicotine is a beneficial nootropic. Now, of course, cigarettes are awful for you. It's a terrible way to get nicotine. It does so much damage to the body. But this gum is a different delivery mechanism, and I think you'll find it incredibly valuable and accretive if this is something that you're called to. So the flavors are wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. They have four milligrams of nicotine. There's also a new cherry ice flavor. So 20% off any order at lucy.co with the promo code AMP. That's L-U-C-Y dot C-O with the promo code AMP and you'll get 20% off. And of course, with any nicotine or tobacco product, there comes a warning. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So if you're going to dance with any plant, any chemical, or any substance at all, make sure you're driving the ship and the plant, chemical, or substance isn't driving you. Lastly, I'm gonna talk to you guys about Onnit, who is offering a seven-day supply of Total Human for free. And Total Human is really one of the most phenomenal products that we've ever created because it combines all of the phenomenal formulas that we've put out. It's got Alpha Brain, Shroom Tech Sport, it has the Krill Oil, it has the Shroom Tech Immune, it has New Mood, it has everything parceled out into day and night packs to create not only a balanced nutritional profile, which is really a reimagining of the multivitamin, but also all of the obscure plants and herbs that we've harvested specifically for these targeted formulas. So there is literally nothing else out there that's gonna cover the bases like Total Human. So check it out if you're interested. There's no more convenient way to take supplements, period. And if you wanna add anything else to your Total Human, the only thing that it doesn't have are the ingredients in the Total Gut Health. So basically, if you're taking the Total Human and Total Gut Health, you really have your bases covered. Just eat a healthy diet, get your fitness in, and you're going to be feeling phenomenal. So uh, once again, for a limited time, you can try Total Human for free. Just pay shipping, and you'll get a seven-day supply at no cost. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey to take advantage of this offer and get 10% off everything else. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. Now let's roll this uninterrupted podcast with Kyle Kingsbury, Eric Godsey, and Caitlin Howe. Family, Ohana. So ohana is a Hawaiian word, and it means your chosen family. And I think it's something that all too often we overlook. We think about our blood family. We think about, oh, well, these people share our DNA. This is our family. We grew up with them. And that is a certain type of family, and it's an important type of family. But there's also an equally important type of family, and that's the family that you choose. Because as all of us know all too well with our cousins and uncles and sometimes our biological parents and whoever, it's like, 
well, maybe our soul chose that for the lessons that we needed to learn and the opportunities that we have, but we didn't have any choice. We didn't have agency as our self, lowercase s self at the very least, in choosing that family. But being able to choose your family that you go through day to day, that you share everything, that you give everything to, that's also equally important. And uh, I choose all of you. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Godsey, Kyle Kingsbury. Caitlin Howe. So glad to be here with you guys. Thank you, brother. It's an honor. And for the mm. rest of our life yeah. to the fucking end. Yeah. The end. So what I wanted to talk to uh, everybody about today was the four major archetypes. King, warrior, magician, lover, which can skew to the masculine when you describe them that way, but it's king, queen, you know, warrior, 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 princess, warrior, warriors kind of um huntress is another way to put it um and then priestess magician lover lover yeah. you know they're both kind of they both kind of go in and just talk about not only these archetypes in their you know highest form in their sacred form in their divine form also the shadow expressions of the archetype and then go through and let's just open up and talk about where we feel like we've you know exemplified the divine or sacred aspect of that archetype and where we've fallen short in our own life. So the first one to talk about is the king or the queen archetype. And this is an important one because this is a word that colloquially we use all the time, like, you're such a king, my king, I'm so you're such a queen, <laughs> you know, and we say that and it carries a lot of meaning. And uh, so it's important to understand what that meaning is. And I think one of the things that people get twisted about the king is that the king is the servant mm. the king is the one who serves the people and that's the example that we really don't see in our current climate i mean right now the king as it's exemplified particularly in politics it's about winning at all costs like whatever the fuck it takes to win i'm gonna win it's power first service last and that's the shadow archetype of the king the shadow archetype of the king wants to rule, wants the power, but is far less concerned about serving the people. So a true king in the sacred and divine sense has a purpose, has a, has a mission, has a way to lead, is an idea about how to justly lead everybody else around them. And that's what's most important. That's more, more, more important than the king holding his title, holding his position, holding everything. A good king would gra would gladly give up the crown if it meant that there was something of greater service for the people. It's a the crown is a hat that you just put on. <laughs> you know, it's not like and I think that's where historically it's like, oh, the bloodlines have determined the king when that's not really what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be someone who's willing to wear the hat, that archetype of the one who is perhaps you know all those stories of oh i was just a farmer and i was just happy doing my thing but my people needed me you know even george washington in some ways was that you know he was pretty happy and his and doing his own thing and then he realized like oh wow taxation without representation we're being ruled by an oppressive tyrannical british government now it's time for me to step in the role of both king and warrior but being called to that level of service and that's i think the divine aspect of the king and it's always exemplified. So I have a couple stories about uh, the king that I want to share because one of the aspects of the king is 
the king leads from the front and always serves the people. And a great example of this comes from a story of Alexander the Great. So Alexander had a purpose, and his purpose was, you know, partly perhaps in the shadow aspect of the king. He wanted to conquer as much land as possible, but he also wanted to bring peace and empire to the land when he was finished. He was always building roads. He was trying to integrate a bunch of different cultures and create an empire that wouldn't be at constant war with each other. So he had that sense of purpose, and admittedly, I'm sure he had some ego woven in there. There's some stories of Alexander's ego being out of, out of check. But a great example of how he led and how he was able to basically create what he was able to create by age 25 was some of the principles that he lived by. So one of the stories, they're deep somewhere in Pakistan, and I believe where it was or where Pakistan is now. And his troops were tired. They were thirsty. You know, it might actually have been in India in the Gobi Desert. They were at the very end of what they were capable of doing. And they were like, why are we doing this? We're so far from Greece. Like, we just want to, we're like, what are we doing here? And coupled with the fact that they were impossibly thirsty, they hadn't found any water in a long time. It's a big army. They need a big spring or they need a river. Or they need something to be able to replenish all the water skins that everybody was carrying. So one of the scouts found just a smallest artesian well, just enough water to fill up a helmet full of water and bring it back. And so all of his men were watching as the scout came back and they had a helmet of water for Alexander. And Alexander looked at the water and the helmet, knew that it wasn't enough for his people. And he just poured it into the sand. And he said, you know, if there is not enough for everyone to drink, I'm not gonna drink this water either. And everybody was like, well, shit, if we got a king like that, we're going to keep going. Another time, deep in, deep in India when they're fighting elephants and, you know, again, where things are difficult, the men were like at the point of mutiny. And Alexander, who always rode forward on his horse Bucephalus with his double-plumed helmet, he just stripped off all of his armor and stripped off all of his tunic and stood before his men completely naked and said, bring forth a man who has bled more than me and we will go home. And they looked at all the scars on his body from all the arrows that he took, all of the times that people targeted him, hoping that if they slayed Alexander the Great that the army would leave and they could go back to their normal, normal lives. But he had the most scars of anyone. So his men said, all right, if we have a leader like that, we will go forward. And these exemplify some aspects of the king in his leadership role and also the the warrior aspect. Whereas, you know, you see some of these other shadow kings and they're always sending their men forward. They're sending people to do the things they don't want to do, they're unwilling to do. If they're spoils, they're the one feasting while everybody's starving. I mean, these are the stories that led up to the times like the, you know, the French Revolution where they're eating cakes and feasts and the people are starving right like that's not the king the king doesn't live that way the king lives as one of the people because the king or the queen always knows that they're radically in service of their people so what other aspects of the king or queen archetype from story from literature from our own understanding what other aspects you know do you guys feel that the king or the queen exemplifies 
Yeah, I have a story that I really love to share. Um, one thing that you said about the crown that I think is really interesting is that symbolically, it represents the sun, and that's why it's made of gold and it has the spikes or the rays, and the symbol is supposed to imbue the idea that the king or the queen is a servant to the spirit of the nation or the spirit of the land. And the crown is actually a testament to that. And there's this ancient Mesopotamian myth, which is actually where we get the root for the New Year's tradition, which is also my birthday. And so it holds a really strong place in my soul. But the idea is that each year, the king on New Year's would have to go through a parade where he would take off his crown, he would take off his gown, he would take off his armor and his rings, and he would go before the people and he would have to confess to the people all the acts that he did that year that weren't kingly, all the acts that he did that year that were from ego and not in service to the land. And then the people got to choose whether or not he got to be the king again. And uh, my last night of ayahuasca last year, that was essentially what ayahuasca told me is, you know, I showed you how to be a king. You have to come back every, every year and I'm gonna judge you. <laughs> <laughs> and having that feeling in your psyche that there's something superordinate to you that will judge you and that you actually bow to being judged because you are going to take the responsibility to lead your inner kingdom. And I think that's where a lot of people might misunderstand what we're saying about king and queen. I don't reign over you. I'm the king of my kingdom. I'm responsible for everything that happens within me. And the vow is I serve the spirit of the land in my psyche, which is our daemon, which is something that we will very likely talk about. But that's one of my favorite stories about the king archetype. Yeah, you serve the divinely inspired purpose, that mission that you have to serve the people yep. rather than serving yourself. Right. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. And it's actually going to lead into us as we go through all of these archetypes, you know, doing the same thing. Let's let's all confess <laughs> anywhere where we've fallen short and also have the you know, the other side of humility is expressing the truth about where we actually did it. I think right. all too often we're too shy to express our greatness as well because we're afraid of, you know, if we express our greatness, people will try and tear us down and people will, we think that humility is lying to everybody and pretending that we're not a king right. so that they feel more comfortable, but that's not it. Humility is expressing the truth of who we are and accepting everything that comes, no matter what it is, expressing our faults or expressing our greatness, both equally. And if people wanna criticize us for our faults, so be it, we take those arrows. If people wanna criticize us for our strengths, so be it, we take those arrows, we take those people who wanna tear us down. And we love them too, because they are, the, they are our people as well. Yeah. And we are all kings and queens. I feel um, for me, awakening to my queen has been um has been awakening to that how we're born into this dream of this hierarchy in our collective and we see these leaders and we either decide i'm gonna fight for power to become one of them or i'm going to serve and be subservient and take all of my cues from the government or from the social infrastructure or the social hierarchy around me 
and really empowering yourself into your own sovereignty as to what is my my mission, my purpose, and the and the mission and the song of my queendom, and how can I sing that and be on the front lines and hold everything in 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 myself and in my environment um, as a servant and listen to it and also be you know the leader in my own mission and I think it's it's really particularly challenging as a woman because it's a little bit different I think what comes in um, as the shadow aspect of the queen is more of competition and uh, you know we have this idea in modern culture particularly that you have to be the most beautiful and you have to have the most approval and you have to be better than the women around you. And we really don't get a lot of good examples of holding other women in their queendom and not feeling like it's threatening. So, you know, disarming that proclivity to feel threatened and and see each other as allies all serving in our own queendom is a really big piece of stepping fully into the queen because if you just feel like you're the best and the prettiest and you can stay the youngest the longest and you can um you know dominate the women around you and have whatever you want and they can't have and you can um you know we lose that that inclusivity and that connectedness that's so imperative for um for us to truly be in our power so that's been coming alive for me a lot over the past year in particular as i see uh, so fragmented as a collective and you know really really hardening into our comp- competition and judgment of one another is how can I um, really step fully into my embodiment as a queen by seeing you the queen in you and and letting go of that need to compete with one another it's interesting because some of the stories that I shared definitely have the intersection of the warrior archetype. You know, talking about Alexander, the warrior also leads from the front. The warrior also is willing to step forward and take those arrows. As in the lover archetype and the queen also are intersecting mm-hmm. there because competition is a massive aspect of the lover, right? It's all, you're always in competition with every other lover. And for those of us on this, in this table that have experienced some form of polyamory, that's <laughs> very, uh, very much to the forefront. But yeah, it's it's the it's the idea of Camelot, right? It's the idea of the round table, ultimately, you know, where everybody's sitting around in this round table, Arthur has the crown and everybody says, Yeah, all right, that fits on your head. Like that's the way it should be, but we're all sitting there on an equal table. And people get this wrong all the time. Leaders of companies, leaders of all kinds of different things, where they're not treating everybody else as their equals. They're treating it in this kind of hierarchical nature. You know, I've even heard stories of, you know, a big CEO who's actually had to step down from his other indiscretions, but I heard that he actually created a meeting room where he was literally higher, sitting higher than everybody else in his own boardroom. And then like speaking down and wore sunglasses and was just speaking around down to everybody. That doesn't (laughs) fucking work. (laughs) And so let's talk about a differentiation between the king and the queen archetype, because I think there's a there's something that I've kind of felt into for the queen. It feels to me like the queen has an element where she really deeply compassionately you know connects with the emotional state of the people and sometimes the king can be very much 
this is about order, this is about what's right, and it and it requires some very challenging decisions to be made. I mean, every king has had to sacrifice certain people or certain things, you know, which if you're emotionally connected to it, like the king of a company, the CEO, you got to fire people, you know, and, and I've had to do that many times, but I've always tried my best to compassionately connect. If you're a warrior king, you know, you've had to send people to their death for the greater good of the whole kingdom. And that's hard. So sometimes you can get disconnected from the emotional, you know, center of the people. Whereas the queen's job, particularly, you know, because she can represent all of those aspects of being a ruling queen and ruling king, but to really like be there with the emotions of the people and remind any king that she might be side by side with, like, this is this is the emo- these are the emotions. This is what everybody's feeling. So in case that king gets too, you know, caught into the into the law, into the logos of what he's offering, she can be like, okay, here's the here's the pathos, here's the emotion of what's going on as well. That reminds me, you know, in, for for women, I think that what really is critical in expanding the idea of the queen and the female aspects of these archetypes is, archetypes is expanding our sense of what the feminine means you know we the feminine archetypes classically are maiden mother and crone and the mother um you know really is an aspect a strong aspect of the queen she's the mother to everything in her queendom she is listening and holding she's receptive she can hold everything and we have this really narrow idea of what the feminine is you know she's polite she's passive she's subservient not fam. she yeah <laughs> not fam not fam for sure she you know these um old dated traditional ideas of what it is to be a woman to be proper um you know to be the the shadow mother and to over mother your children or your the the subjects of your queendom is um you know to not let them die and to have to have to um you know micromanage every aspect of everything that happens and the, the real big expanse of holding of the feminine is it holds it all and the feminine is death the mm-hmm. feminine is is the force that 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 makes die what needs to die so new life can be born and she is the you know the harbinger of death for what needs to be born she is she's deathing and birthing everything that needs to cycle in the kingdom the queen of fire yes and she's the messenger to the king for his execution of the order of the things that needs to she she is his intuition she is going to deliver to him what needs to be felt and known in that broader perspective so his order and his sights and his arrows can can bring that into accord which is again the intersection of the priestess yes right like if you (laughs) look at the avatar model you know it's the the queen was the medicine woman you know Mm -hmm. like the king was the one who was deciding but the queen was the one who was sniffing around no jake sully sniffing around and saying like okay (laughs) my intuition is let's bring him in yeah, you know, and and her intuition was ultimately right in that story, and I think there's a there's a knowing that the feminine can possess, or the magician, you know, that's part of that aspect as well. We right. all have both of these masculine and feminine expressions mm-hmm. of this, but you know, the intersections are all really, really important here. 
And I want to offer something to give a broader scope of what we're talking about. So there are two primary archetypical forces going through all of our psyches, and the words we use for that are the masculine and the feminine. Archetypes are essentially evolved primordial images that we've grown to expect to step into being a human on earth. And you can almost think of it like the sunlight and the moon are the masculine and the feminine and they're coming through a window and there's four types of pain, like window pane that the light can come through and they all meld and merge and move into each other. But they're evolved archetypical patterns of behavior that we've all grown to anticipate embodying at some point in order to get through life. And so I just wanted to offer that to the people listening in case they may not understand what the what the nature of the archetype is. Right. Anything you want to add to the king or queen archetype before we go and have our com- <laughs> Mesopotamian confession and decide whether we're worthy to rule another year in our own king or queendom. Yeah, I just want to add Godzi had touched on that, you know, the, that the king it always starts with self. It starts with the kingdom within. And whether we're talking about king or queen, it does start there, but it doesn't finish there. You know, this idea of self goes beyond that. And our kingdom starts with self, and then it goes into our family. It goes into our our partners, our relationships, uh, husband and wife, kids, our parents. There's a kingdom that lives there. There's a kingdom that lies at our office. And even though I wasn't CEO at on it. I was still king of my role at yes. it in that kingdom, right? And we all have that, whether you're in the fucking mail room or you're sitting on top, you are still the king of that kingdom in the way that you participate and show up in that experience. Yes. And that moves too, like like Paul Check gets into that in his I We All video series as a graduation from the childlike self-thought of I'm look only looking out for myself. This is all I care about to the we when you finally have a partner and you're like, oh, I actually care about this person. We matter, right? And then you get into the all anytime you add a third, right? And anytime you move past that, you begin to think outside of the box of just the two of you. So having a kid or having another partner in your relationship, any of these things can help express that. But self can begin to move. Kingdom can and queendom can begin to move from one person to two to multiples to your your job in your office the place that you're at most often all the way to your community to the nation state to the entire earth itself and then to the cosmos and as we understand that we look at that world that we're in differently we see the whole we can begin to see with a bit of the bird medicine the full arc of what our trajectory looks like and i think that's an important lens to look through as well amen no doubt well, let us begin. Anyone want to go first with this, or uh, or should I offer my own? I'll go first. Go for it. Uh, so uh, I first got into reading Greek mythology when I was like seven or eight, and like the primary thing that I instilled or downloaded from reading Greek mythology is that the highest sin was to think that you were equal to or greater than the gods. And I have all three of you to thank for stepping out of this but my biggest transgression against the king energy was for the majority of my life having pseudo humility in the face of how big i knew i was that i was committed to not ever acting as a king because i thought it was like blasphemy or like a sin against the gods and that they would like destroy my life 
Um, I wanted to hide behind screens because I have a speech impediment. I'd never wanted to be in front of cameras. Uh, if you hadn't have told me that I had to be a coach, I would not have been a coach. And so my biggest transgression against the king was not allowing myself to admit that I actually was and that I was allowed to be and that I could express it and that I could show it. And one of the big downloads from ayahuasca last year was her telling me, it's okay that you just get it. And I had realized that because of my childhood, um, I purposefully pretended that I was guilty for feeling this capability in me. And um, it kept me from helping a lot of people that I could have helped because I didn't claim the fact that I had a crown. And I have to sit and feel and hold that there are that there is a lot of healing I could have given that I didn't do because of my false humility. Mm. It's uh, it's what I was mentioning about the shadow aspect of humility. The shadow of humility is to be hum be quote quote humble, right? Even when you're, it's just untrue because it it makes everybody else feel more comfortable, you know. And that's, I think, something that's really important. And actually, in, in Australia, they actually have something, they call it tall poppy syndrome. And this is something that culturally, for whatever reason, it's, in, it's imbued. And the tall poppy syndrome is the tallest poppy is the one that gets cut down because everybody notices it. So as soon as that one grows up and is higher than the rest in status or in, in wisdom or in acclaim, then people are going to cut it. And that's something that's like kind of ingrained, but it's something we all have. They just have a name for it. Ingrained. <laughs> Indeed. How would you say that you've actually, you know, acted in accord with uh, the sacred king or divine king aspect? So this is uh, a good test to the humility thing. The truth is that I feel of the four archetypes, the one that is most effortless for me is the king. And it's my commitment to no matter what situation I'm in, no matter how clear the outcome of me doing so will not be to my ego's benefit is to tell the motherfucking truth. And so like, you know, I'm terrible at negotiating with you about things with this job <laughs> because I will, I will tell the fucking truth. Um, in relationships like i had something that happened about six months ago where i felt something for someone else and i told my partner that same fucking day and when i tell people that story they look at me like i'm an idiot but the truth is that the king archetype is the one that's the most effortless for me to be and it's by telling the truth every day no matter what believing that it will yield the best possible thing that can happen. And it leads to me crying a lot. It leads to me feeling like I didn't get what I want, but um, I bow to the whisper within. We all too often think that the truth isn't, that somehow the truth is unkind, you know? And really any, that's really looking from a very limited, limited perspective right and there's maybe some hypothetical examples that we could all come up with in which sheltering the truth is of pragmatic benefit and i'm not talking about the extreme hypotheticals here but overall you have to trust that the truth is what's going to serve serve the individual over time serve their soul serve 
you know, serve what is of the greatest good. And anything else typically is a temporary thing to make you feel more comfortable. It's almost always selfish. And it's the shadow magician. It's, I believe that I see you more clearly than you see you. And I don't think that you can handle the truth because I think that you're small and I think that you're weak. Yeah, there's a con, there's a condescension to it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and a mistrust of, you know, the accord of things that truth and God and love, these are all synonyms for the same thing. This is how this is how it is expressed. And again, this is something we see this shadow magician is everywhere. Then that's an aspect of the shadow king who's just putting out propaganda and misinformation to support his own, you know, support his own kingdom and support that he, no one ever takes off his crown. Or he's the one who's walking through Mesopotamia knowing that he's a fucking shithead, but being like, nah, I crushed it, fam. You know, I was really hard out there. You know, I just, I was really, I was really thinking about you the whole time. And meanwhile, it wasn't, you know, or she wasn't. And uh, yeah, and I, and I see that in you, brother, for sure. And that's a, that's a great example of how to lead and, and leading with the truth is what the king or the queen always does, no matter what the cost, you know, to self, the truth must be known. Being impeccable with your word, brother. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's the most impeccable. I, mine's, mine's pretty similar to yours. And uh, I didn't really fully grasp this until I started working with Mary Margrave. And then she had me read King Warrior, Magician Lover, even though you and several <laughs> other people were like, you got to fucking read this book. For two years. Um, in the intro of the book, they talk about how our problem through, you know, the side effects of feminism um, and different movements to really look at patriarchy as a whole and men as a whole and um you know the shadow aspects of king and warrior you know when we look to our kings and our warriors right now it's pretty pretty easy to see like oh that that doesn't seem right so we labeled the whole archetype as off right and i had done that through society and through my own programming with my parents one of the things mary told me that blew me away was is that it's a parent's job for their children to embody father god as a dad and to embody mother god as a mom and if you do that right and you show them unconditional love through all of the teachings that you have as a parent they keep their connection to father god and mother god unaltered but if they don't do that and we can look through our <laughs> short history of of spans and see that that hasn't happened right so then we reject those aspects of the divine not just the archetypical but father god altogether you go to church and you're like fuck all this noise that's not for me and we can lose our relationship with god entirely we can become atheist we can outcast the entire thing because we didn't have an experience with that as we were treated in a way that was not in alignment with what unconditional love is we reject our parents and we reject the masculine and feminine archetypes of god altogether so there was a lot to unpack with that. And I think a part of it has helped, has helped me a lot as in healing with my father, with plant medicines, and also in becoming a dad to a son. You know, that really set me on the path to start working with King Energy and really embodying that. And um, it's been still tricky, <laughs> absolutely tricky. I think in open relationship, one of the failures that I did was to push off in 
uh, Tasha's relationship, my king energy onto her. Like, oh, that's y'all's relationship. You got this. And in doing so, you know, went into this passive, uh, overly humbled, you know, version of the king energy and said, you got this. And now she's got to wear the pants, be the king and the queen. And that was just no way to be because that kingdom did affect me. It affected all of us. It affected our children. Right. And as I started to realize that and work through the shadow aspects of that in the book and the material and working with Mary and step into the king, that allowed her to relax into her queendom. Right. And through that, have the harder conversations that we needed to have. And in that change, the nature of our relationship together, the nature of our relationship with others, and bring it into a fullness that none of us really expected. But it's been everything. I mean, we've come through that in 2020 all of this in 2020 in preparation for wolf's arrival and it's been easily the most magical gift and i think of all the books i've read on relationship king warrior magician lover i would put amongst any of them yeah on the top of the list and wolf is uh kyle's beautiful little daughter yeah if if people are wondering what the hell he's talking about <laughs> what he's saying when he's saying wolf wolf's arrival wolf's arrival what it's not a prophecy. Or, well, I guess it is a prophecy. <laughs> it kind of was a prophecy. Yeah. Where do you think you've excelled as a king, brother? Hmm. I think really is it's it's for me it's it's seeing through the illusion of everything we've looked at. You know, and, and Rogan's talked about this too. Like, where the problem is, we look at men in power and we look at them as adult males. We don't look at them as wounded boys <laughs> yes. who are frozen in their shadow archetypes yes. in the development of becoming men yep. because they have not gone through rites of passage and yes. they have not gone through initiations and they've not been held by a community. You know, we didn't grow up in communities that held one another and showed up for one another. Or by a king. And yeah, then we take pills and go to some fucking dude in a white lab coat and think we're gonna get fixed and it doesn't work that way. So when we look at these boys wounded boys in adult meat suits it's easy to see that and be like oh no fuck that that ain't me right. right but i think seeing that for what it is and coming to a fuller understanding and appreciation of these shadows and actually looking back it's 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 impossible to see our shadows in real time but back in time we can certainly see some shadows show up when i was seven how did i respond to my parents versus how do i respond at school Completely different. Passive archetype with my parents, going to a little shell. Active archetype at school. Bully. You know, <laughs> fucking bully, screaming at teachers, going to the principal's office, all that stuff. And if we continue to look through back in time, we can see patterns show up. And with those patterns, we can start to question, where am I at right now? How are these patterns showing up? And in talks with you and learning more about Jung and, and Freud and all this is very easy for me to see like, oh, I was attaching my mom, unhealed mom stuff to my wife. That ain't cool. That's not good for a relationship. <laughs> That's, That's not, not good way. for anybody, you know, but really, really stepping into my new understanding of what it means to be a man and the king really being the uh, foundation piece of that mm. has allowed me to be a better father, a better husband and in that more receptive and more generative and more inclusive and with christian and anyone else that is close to home and a part of our tribe unit uh we've seen that flourish and that that really was through some deep fires as all of you know aubrey and i were walking around on it 
till I had holes in my fucking feet, <laughs> uh, walking barefoot to ground through the summers, through the mm -hmm. winters. And um, yeah, I had a lot of scar tissue, a lot of calluses, literally and figuratively. And to come out on the other side of that and to really feel into the peace and equanimity that we've created, the balance, the order where there was chaos. Um, I think those are the more of the the grander scheme of what the king can bring to the kingdom when he's in alignment with that and that's how i feel right now and it's it's been beautiful to, mm. to really feel into that yeah beautiful mm. all right so for my my queen energy wow i um i can say i i feel that where i've gotten lost in the shadow queen um for much of my adult life has really been um coming from shame and the small self delusion that I need to fix myself. Um, I had, you know, as many of us are shaped by our formative childhood years, um, that fed into certain lessons, lessons and experiences that actually amplified those wounds and um, deepened them and also gives me an opportunity to heal them and work on them. But as I saw these, flaws or these addictions or these challenges you know i spoke to uh, some of that a bit on our last podcast together um i got so tunnel visioned on what was wrong with me for such long stretches of my life and was always looking to redeem myself redeem myself by being chosen by a worthy man or redeem myself through some kind of um success or victory over shadow aspects of myself and in that narrow tunnel vision you can't be in your fullest expression as a centered queen who's holding all of who she is and um that you know that just obscured the the truth of what i really am and how big i am and you know we speak about like how it's important to to claim your bigness and it's important to claim your your royalty to yourself and when you're when you're trapped in shame for the things that you feel you've done wrong it's impossible to see and to feel how big you are and sit in that seat so um i can see so many years where i look back now from the seat of my queen and i think like oh you know you couldn't see, you just couldn't see that it was all okay, that it was all perfect, that you were going through this stuff and that you were still great. And, um, and but, I, but I don't do that with, when I'm in the seat of my queen, I don't do that from a place of sorrow and regret. I don't do that from a place of lamenting what I should have done differently. I do that in a place of holding it all and really, really loving it all and saying thank you. And um, it's only been recently as things, you know, I hit some of the hardest challenges of my life and got really, really stuck in in that tunnel vision of guilt and shame and sorrow um, that I was able to wake up to it and step fully forward into the seat of my queendom and recognize that I was always the queen. I always had these superpowers you know i can feel a room i can feel the energy of a person who feels alone or somebody who might appreciate um just a little more attention or might need to be heard and i've always tended to that but it was always before when I, before i could feel what that seat feels like i was grasping for redemption through it i'm gonna listen to you so so i can feel like i'm doing i'm i'm redeeming what I've done wrong and I'm making myself better and I'm fixing myself. 
um, it wasn't this really gentle place of holding that's just kind of nodding and listening and 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 subtly subtly tending to the to the queendom. And I feel like um, over the past year, I've I felt that more. And for me, um, being in that seat really just takes waking up to it. And like Kyle said, you know, um, broadening the perspective outside of that narrow scope. And um, I think that that's what that's where we get lost and particularly for me shame has been really lethal to the royalty that's always been there mm. and you highlighted some of the aspects of you in your queendom your ability to read a situation your ability to understand who needs more nurture who needs more care what people are feeling and then apply you know apply the the remedy you know mm. through your own intention or through your own love or through a reach out or through a text or through you know, to be able to nurture yeah. that back into back into balance. And doing it without attachment, you know, without that shadow mother. The attachment is what needs to be validated by the response or, mm, right. you know, um, and be like, yes, thank you so much. No, you give it and you let it go and you just give it and let it go and you just keep sitting and holding and listening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so for me, I'll go come at this a little bit backwards, I think. You know, I've always had a strong vision. I've always had a strong purpose. You know, I don't think that's not something that's wavered. And I've also always known about myself that I will always do what I feel is right as long as I'm not deluding myself in some way. Like I have to play a real trick on myself, you know, to actually believe that something is right, you know, but I won't allow that to happen with any type of awareness, right? Like as soon as, and my awareness is, pretty keen i can usually tell pretty quickly if i'm acting in a selfish way but little things will sneak in you know little acts that are selfish little acts that are you know while i have this great pur purpose perhaps the purity of purpose isn't always there perhaps there's a financial incentive that's been woven in to you know some offering that i have perhaps there's a you know growth of my own status or growth of the kingdom that i'm worried about benefiting me rather than benefiting you know the kingdom itself and little selfish motivations you know will will weave in when my eye is not on the ball and when i'm not completely committed to the purity of purpose to para el bien de todos there's a reason why i say it all the time there's a reason why people get tattoos that say love on their body if you get a tattoo that says love on your body you're working on love amen like that's the whole fucking point any word that anybody has on it's like that's a covers sign. tattoo <laughs> that's a sign that that's something you're working on otherwise why would you need that reminder all the time why did i get don howard's you know smiling jaguar on my hand because i i know i need that reminder i know i need that para bien de todos reminder i need that you know mm. and i want to carry that with me so that every time i look at this hand my hand in the archetypal sense the right hand is the doing hand the masculine hand the one that's doing making sure that i'm doing it from a purity of purpose getting better at that getting better at that for sure willingness also to receive criticism without my own selfish desire to not have arrows slung at me right like there's been i've always been willing to be vulnerable and willing to but i've also been like oh man do i really want to fucking step in that fray like today is election day this podcast won't come out today but you know for the first time i posted a series of posts about joe jorgensen who i've been following for like a month and she's putting out some fucking beautiful ideas she's a libertarian candidate and i haven't posted about her for 
you know, since I've been following her for about six weeks. Why? Is that the best thing for the kingdom? No, not really. That was the best thing so that I didn't have both <laughs> Republicans and Democrats <laughs> fucking cocking their crossbow and trying to shoot me and tell me that, you know, this is irresponsible for even talking about her because she can't win and then having to defend it. It was it was a selfish aspect of me that was like, oh, fuck, it's such a quagmire. I don't want to step into the fray with this. But the king always steps into the fray and says, well, I don't have all that much energy, but it's still worth it. I had enough. And you, the king must be also mindful, like you don't just go give everything and get destroyed and then have to recover. Like you have to be mindful of your own energetic resources in order to do that. But that wasn't this. That was a little bit of that, but also a little bit of like, I just don't want to. I just don't want to deal with this <laughs> right now. Yeah. You know. And that was a, you know, that was kind of a a failure to actually exemplify like the king in its in its strongest and purest sense. And then there was other times where, man, I just wanted to take off the crown. You know, I just wanted to be like, ah, fuck this. Like, I just want to go away. I want to I want to sleep inside a shoe in my closet, <laughs> small like a mouse. <laughs> like, here I am in my, in my fucking Adidas somewhere <laughs> in the closet. Like, don't even find me. Sure. And uh, because there's, you know, with that, with the acceptance of your king energy or your queen energy, there is responsibility. Yes. It's like what Spider-Man says, you know, with any type of power, you know, comes responsibility. And and with the influence that I have, there is an innate sense of power, not power and like I'm hungry for power, but I just, the ability to influence is available. And there's a great responsibility to that. And you have to continually choose to step in and step into that and say like i accept this responsibility i choose this responsibility and i will use it as justly and as wisely as possible so those are the areas i could have uh certainly stepped forward in a, in a greater way and i certainly intend to um yeah, one this of, next year crosses one of the things that i feel is important to offer people because we see this a lot in uh, the fit for service program is that people have an intuitive or an implicit belief. If I just do whatever the work means, at some point I'll be done doing the work. And what you'll find is that as your competency grows, that inner whisper in you will call you to bigger things. And there is not an end. <laughs> it is just a continual growth of what you are capable of facing. And then that whisper will never stop. It will always say, all right, next giant next that, mountain that's the the whisper is your inner queen the feminine and the action is the inner king and that's for everybody Amen. there's so many like the, the mm -hmm. thing that you feel alive to and you're like intuitively called to but you're like ah i don't know i don't want the arrows and but the the queen's whispering and the ego's queen. response always to the whisper <laughs> is no <laughs> and you yeah. got to do it there's a great there's a great story that's worth sharing from uh, about Leonidas. So everybody knows the story about Leonidas, and he selected 300 Spartans to go to the hot gates at Thermopylae, and stand to the last man to hold back the advance of the Persian king Xerxes, who was going to take over all of Greece. And he had to select. He hand selected those 300 men, <clears throat> and. The reason he selected the 300, a lot of people think, did he select the greatest warriors? Did he select, you know, the ones that, you know, what was his criteria for selecting them? 
And, you know, talking to Stephen Pressfield, who's done a lot of research on, you know, Sparta and Leonidas and the events at Thermopylae, he selected the people who would go stand with him because they were the ones who had the strongest women. And he knew that if the men were going to go die, he had to have women, their wives, who could actually hold it together and stand strong and back this decision of sacrificing for the greater good of all Sparta. Because if they lost it, they were the heart of Sparta. If they lost their mind and they second-guessed it and they questioned it, Sparta would divulge into chaos. And there's a story of, of one woman who you know who didn't understand why Leonidas he didn't like say to everybody this is why he was doing it he just did it and she came to him because he had selected her son and her husband to go out <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> to just know they're going to march away and never come back but and she was you know completely bereft you know she's like how could you do this Leonidas how <clears throat> and he just said because you're the strongest amongst us and you can handle it and you'll be an example for everyone else because you've lost the most and if you can hold this and if you can honor this decision then everybody can and she told him she said she nodded dried her tears and she said these were these are the last tears that anyone will see me cry. <laughs> and the thing that lands for me with that story is for all of us here at this table and everyone listening who is going to say yes to this call is that there's a part of me that knows that that's in all of our futures in some way, that the greater you grow, the bigger you get, you are gonna get a call because you can handle it. Mm -hmm. And so, buckle the fuck up everybody <laughs> because this is just getting started and we are all going to have that moment yeah in one way or another whether it's the death of our egos which come quite often or the death of ourself as a as the entirety of our articulation in this lifetime how but, do you feel you've been you've excelled as the king well, you know, I, I started with that. I mean, I, I think I've always held that purpose true and mm -hmm. my vision has been strong. And, you know, I've been, whether I was leading on it, you know, I, I've always had a pulse for what is fair for the yeah. for the team, what is right for the team, what is right for anybody that I have had to let go and it, all the compensation. If something is not right, I'm not obligated. I mean, we have a friend who let her options for, you know, equity in the company expire and you know we're not even talking right now but i just found that out and i was like oh this this needs to change this isn't right she didn't know what happened so the king just the as the king archetype like it's about making right whatever needs to be right not because it's i'm compelled to do it but because it's just it's what's right and whether that's the small team that we have here for fit for service, whether it's the whole fit for service organization, whether it's the on it organization, whether it's my, you know, podcast listeners or whether it's whatever, I'll, I will do what's right. And the more that I'm pressed, the more I stand forward in my king, where it gets, where I get sloppy 
is in the small little stuff. Like mm-hmm. I've always know, like when the when the barbarians are at the gate, I mean, there's not a hesitation to get to grab the double plumed helmet and you know hop on Bucephalus and ride like never once. But when there's like peacetime, when there's like a you know one wild boar out there, and it's like <laughs> it's just a boar, like whatever, like you know, like when it's not the full barbarian assault, and then I can then I start negotiating with myself, and then I can slip into some both passive and shadow aspects, um, and so that's the thing: it's to try and have that impeccability, regardless of the circumstances, not wait for you know the imposition of something you know particularly intense for me to step forward into my king archetype but to just be that at all times whether it's complete peacetime and and rest and triviality or whether it's absolute time for me to step up so yeah i think it's worth and i just want to say to you that it is your king energy that called me out of the ordinary world 10 years ago it's what brought me to this company it is you seeing me that made me become a coach and everyone that I've helped and everyone that I'm going to help, like the seed of it was your king. So thank you. Of course, brother. And it wouldn't have wouldn't have meant anything if it wasn't you saying yes and having that having that in you. And I think that's also it. Like I can acknowledge that I did that, but it's not like I'm like, good fucking job. Bro. <laughs> like I just I'm just I'm just Look wearing what I, <laughs> what I did. That's the thing. It's just like I was just wearing that hat and I was actually just acting in accord in the flow and getting out of the fucking way. It'd be like a shaman taking credit for all of the transformations that happened in ayahuasca. Like sing the songs, bro. <laughs> you know, like do the thing and like be happy that you sang the songs and you opened up and you were clear, but the medicine did the work. Spirit did the work and I think that's another important aspect of of this as well is that you don't take this to inflate yourself inflation is the shadow archetype of both king and queen but thank you i accept (laughs) yeah letting uh, acknowledging that spirit's doing the work and being a hollow bone for that feeds into i think the magician and the priestess a lot um deeply yeah and really opening up to that deeply well kyle let's talk about the uh let's talk about the warrior and then we'll go through this exercise again Man, I'm just reeling right now. The warrior. Yeah, warrior Warrior for me was very similar to King in the um, societal programming and in, you know, my parenting, really being averse to that. I had experimented with the physical acts of being a warrior and, and considered myself to be a lifelong warrior in many aspects. And really had a rude awakening and in diving into the material of King Warrior Magician Lover and seeing how I had been in at many times the shadow aspect of the warrior um, this year, you know, like my whole fucking life. And I touched on that earlier. Um, the passive shadow of, of the warrior is, you know, one who cowers, is a coward. And that's, you know, how I was in, in my family, my immediate family life growing up. Um, I would just shut down and go into a shell. And so how that carried over in a relationship is anytime Tosh was angry, mom was angry. And yes. if mom's angry, <laughs> I go into a fucking shell. Yeah. And that would piss her off even more, rightly so. Like, hey, I'm fucking talking to you. Why are you not saying a word? You're a mute. 
and I can see you have tears in your eyes, but you're still not talking to me. I want to talk. I just want to communicate, you know, but in like any sense of fire or anger, which both of my parents carried a lot of, I would retreat and retreating, you know, look, taking space completely cool and, and communicating that, Hey, I need, I need some space to process. I need to catch my breath. I need to go for a walk. I need to meditate or do breath work for five minutes, whatever that is. That's cool. I'm not speaking to that. What I'm speaking to is cowardice. And I had a lot of that in the, in the passive form of um, the shadow warrior, you know, up until very recently, you know, and, and Tosh getting pregnant with Wolf in many ways was an initiation for me because it, it had to help me heal any lingering things that I had with my mother. And in that, it helped me to witness with the ways that I was attributing that to my wife and really be able to work through that. Um, the aggressive masochistic side of the warrior, you know, where, where I had been bullied my entire life and in turn bullied many other people, you know, and, and seeing that in different ways where I might not have been as soft as I needed to be or could have been with Bear. I might not have shown compassion first. I might have shown, you know, a little bit of my father or let a little, little bit of that trickle in too much rather than offering care and love for an, an ouchie that in my, you know, adult opinion, is nothing and you'll be fine maybe isn't the right response you know and that knee-jerk reaction should have been to offer care and love and compassion and hold him and you know having kids has been it's this you know if open relationship is the ceremony that doesn't end certainly having kids doesn't never fucking ends you know as long as you say yes to the job it's always there until the day you die and anahata brought that up you're always learning like that, that, that whisper from the daemon is always there, but you're always learning on how to be with your kids because you'll never stop being their parent. The relationship will change in that you might see closer to eye to eye. And obviously if you're a smart parent, you're going to learn from your kids. They are your guru. You're not there to teach them anything. You're there to protect them and allow them to live their own lives. But in the witnessing of that, you know, she has a twin boy and a twin girl that are in their 20s now, and she's trying to sort that out. How do I help these kids figure out college in the time of COVID and quarantine and all these other things? And it just allowed me to see that further down the road, you know, of really what that looks like um, to really know that that uh, it's always going to change. You're never going to figure it out. There's never a fucking manual. So let me just relax into this and show up first with compassion and and see, you know, has there been a pattern of me being aggressive with Bear because he's a boy and um, being passive with Tosh, you know, and, and, and cowardice and, and okay, there is a pattern there. How far does that go? Well, that goes really far back. All right, cool. And then how do I navigate that lens going forward now so I can live, live the dough, you know, live the samurai way of being where it is not just something I switch on when I enter the cage or switch on, um, you know, when I have a podcast, that's really important. That's going to, I'm going to take some arrows for, but I know it's right. And I know it's something that needs to be said. And then there's no decision because it's a way of being, it goes well beyond thought. It goes into the hard energy space of this is the path. And, and if I show up to that frontally face first and head on, that's the fastest way through it. And that's the only way through it. And, and really living in that has given me discipline on every level. I know how to eat. I know how to train. I know how to do a lot of these things and take care of myself on a very physical level. And I have many tools from mental, emotional to spiritual ways of testing myself and pushing myself. But it's this idea of discipline and showing up every single day in a way where I truly live that experience. 
And this is something that you really brought up, you know, in one of our last medicine journeys together was the idea of the Lanson. And I'll, I'll let mm-hmm. you dive into that. But as you spoke to that, it resonated with every, my fucking hair standing up in the back of my head right now, mm-hmm. right now, because that is the resonance of what the warrior embodies and what is being asked of people right now, not all people. And, and I don't want to get off topic, but Shervin brought this up. Shervin brought this up on a podcast uh, with me that it's not his job to awaken all the sheep. It's his job to awaken all the sleeping lions. Mm. Whew, that fucking got me big time. And in that, it is our job to lead by example. And that means we don't fucking take the tunic off or the armor at night and throw our feet up on the couch and start eating Doritos. You know, I don't, I don't, there's a time and a place for celebration. And certainly when we look on the Native American spirit wheel, we're missing out on life if we don't pause to reflect and celebrate and enjoy all of the fruits of life. But to remain clear to remain on the path in whatever it is we do and to use intention in everything that we do that is the path of the warrior and i really feel incredibly aligned to that mm-hmm. right now well you've been an inspiring example of that <laughs> as, a, as a warrior that leads with his heart heart forward i mean that's what don howard always says the warrior's heart beats his one heart you know and i think you've always exemplified that your care for everybody else around you but also it's heart forward leading with love head up you know which is an which is a really interesting thing when you unpack that because the what i understood is you know imagine i had this vision and it was a vision of i was flying with eagles and angels and it was energy coming out from the heart love just love pouring over the world that was taking a world from smoke and fire and chaos and machinery and darkness and it was reinvigorating it with nature and earth and love and community and dance and song and and birth and all of the the beautiful aspects of uh, that love can actually kind of bring forth and the head up really really made something clear because i used to think okay yeah just look to the heavens for inspiration well obviously that's just an archaic idea that the divine is up anyways but what I really understood is if we're imagine yourself flying like an angel over the earth and pouring out love, heart forward, pouring out love on everybody, the reason why your head's up is so you don't look down and become enamored with what you're doing. Mm. You know, so you're not looking like, oh, look what I just did over there. Look how I'm turning the dark to the light. Look at me go. It's again, it's that same thing where it's just your head's up. You're just doing this for the sake of being love in general. And I think you know that's uh that's an aspect of the type of warrior that we want to be we're fighting not so we can count our you know count our kills and count our effect oh look i we conquered this army we vanquished this give me some more feathers or give me some more bars on my on my thing we're doing it because we know what's right and we're not even keeping score you know our heads up we're just we're just moving with the purpose of what we're doing and moving into any challenge that we see you know one of castaneda's favorite quotes my favorite quote of his is there is but one choice to be warriors or ordinary that's it and and the the choice to be a warrior is the choice to say there are only challenges and obstacles and i will grow from all of those challenges and obstacles and anything that i need to move into in order to strengthen myself or enable to, to right the wrongs, to protect the weak, to hold strength where there 
you know, is fear, to show courage where there is doubt, like all of these things, I will go towards those things. And the idea you mentioned was like, to me, this download I had about the kind of epitome of a spiritual warrior, which is someone who can stand with such love and such equanimity and such, you know, freedom from the constraints of ego and desire that they can be like the Lanzon, which is a, a symbol from actually, it's a statue in ancient Peru in Chavin that was a spiritual antenna connected from, you know, source all the way grounded into the land. And this was the anchor for a civilization that held peace for 800 years. And it was the symbol of it just planted there in a, in a war-torn place. The whole world was war-torn pretty much at that point. And it just held peace in the ceremonies that existed around that. And that's what we're all building. But in order to strengthen ourselves to build that, we have to go into the challenge. We have to go into the resistance. We have to go into that thing that's going to create the adaptation. So that means when we look at the cold plunge and we know it's good for our body yeah okay great so that's that's step one you know you don't want to do something unnecessarily damaging to self but you look at that freezing ass water and you say i can do this and i'm going to do this this is what's best for me not only for my body but for my mind because i will know that i'm capable of withstanding something challenging something physically uncomfortable and i will learn that about myself so when i have to do something emotionally uncomfortable or spiritually uncomfortable i'm fucking there and that's just one small example of how we can do that every day we were out in Sedona, there was a fucking frozen ice block in the thing and you stripped down butt ass naked and jumped in yeah. there first <laughs> I'm confident I would have gotten in too, but after you went out <laughs> butt ass naked on the ice block, I was like, well, fuck, he went naked. I got little short shorts on, so I'm at, le <laughs> I'm at least going to be fine. You know, you took 30 grams of mushrooms. You, you did know. six days of darkness, bro. I did six <laughs> days of darkness, right? Yeah. So we've all, we've all like, we've all pushed through this, you know, whether it's Mount Shnishka in the cold with Wim Hof, the darkness, the mushrooms, the even all of these medicine journeys, but it's looking out where can we grow and how can we become a greater warrior? And that's just the operating principle. It's not like, oh man, this is gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna be really lonely in the darkness. It's gonna be really cold on that ice block. It's gonna be really scary if I take these mushrooms. And I'm not saying everybody just wantonly go out and do this, because otherwise it's, it would be like saying, just unrack that 700 pound squat bar, bro. I'll be fine. No, you won't. Not unless you've lifted 400, 500, 600, you know, 650, 675, and you're really ready for that shit, then fucking go and for it. And with spotters. And with spotters. And caretakers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So don't be like fucking crazy here. We're not advising. That's unadvisable. That's reckless. And you're probably doing that not out of a calling, not out of trying to be a warrior, but, but trying to think of yourself as a warrior, trying to show how fucking tough you are, which I think probably is something you see. And I've noticed it like an amateur fighter is if it can be fucking scary you know because they're always still trying to prove that they're a badass Those like when, the worst guys in the bar when i was bouncing yeah they're like they're like yeah. one and oh or like oh like one and two with fight record on the amateurs and they fucking are trying to be tough they've barbed wired all of their arms and they're like still no like offense aggressive. if you make it pro and you end up doing that cool but <laughs> <laughs> but the ones everybody who's really excellent like everybody who's a champion i've never seen a champion who is fucking chippy you know <laughs> who is like looking to start a fight it doesn't matter uh -huh. if you're a fighter if you're a great fucking ping pong player you're not trying to prove anything like yeah i can play a little bit oh you're a fighter yeah yeah i'm a fighter 
it's not like yeah bro i'm a fucking fighter i could beat your ass and your daddy too <laughs> said no real well, that's the dark expression of the warrior said no mm -hmm. one in the sacred warrior archetype you know who you are because you've put yourself through the test and you don't need to prove it anymore you know and i think that's a big aspect of it i think again for me the a lot of what i was expressing from the you know the the failures to fully embody the king archetype are also failures to fully embody the warrior archetype the the warrior archetype just stands out there and says shoot your arrows at me because there will be people behind me that i will shelter with my presence and like this is this is who i am and other people who are afraid to talk about you know joe jorgensen for example the libertarian candidate and her ideas because of this maelstrom if I'm stepping out in the forefront, you know, and everybody's aiming their arrows at me because I am strong enough, then they're all going to be safer behind me and grow the courage to be their own warriors behind me. And that's that's the area that I feel like I really want to step deeper into, you know, as a warrior. Like, here I am. If you have arrows, aim them at me because I am the one that's strong enough. And if I'm not, and if I fall, there'll be another warrior like these warriors here at the table that I know will pick up the flag and wave it tall and say, you know, here I am too. And that's the, that's the spirit of it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so I'll share where I feel like I'm, <clears throat> where I've been strong in the warrior and then where I feel like I've been the most repressed in the warrior. And so for me growing up um any expression of aggression was met by a comment from my mom and it was you're just like your father and that was never meant as a compliment and so i learned very young to not express any of the to not express any aggression in any form uh, but where i was really strong with the warrior was mentally and since i can remember i've been um anything that i have committed to i have done and when it comes to like reading and except writing for, except for that cold plunge where you went in about just a little bit <laughs> i knew it was coming up his body was only red red from the waist down <laughs> so i'm very white so i'm very white and kyle could see that from the waist up i was unaffected and unread by the ice anyways back to the story <laughs> to the neck i i had not made the commitment to get in fully so <laughs> but so where i've been the strongest has been like my discipline in doing whatever it is that i've committed to doing and so that's reading hundreds of books that's writing every day that's journaling every day that's telling the motherfucking truth no matter what mm -hmm. um where my warrior has been most in the shadow has been expressing physical aggression and being around you two has actually been what has helped me bring that forward there's this idea in the book iron john that men learn from other men through mana through their presence and you two have never formally taught me how to be aggressive and how to use aggression consciously but you guys do it and i've absorbed the mana and jordan peterson has this quote where he broke down the etymology of the meek shall inherit the earth and what he found is that the original translation is um, those who carry swords but keep them sheathed shall inherit the world. And how he broke that down is those who are capable of being monsters, 
but choose to not be monstrous are the most effective types of people. And one of the things for people to connect to is you are not, you are not virtuous by being weak because there are monsters and there are people who will come and will try to do harm to you. And if you are not able to stop them with the minimal necessary aggression to stop them, you can't protect. And how that has translated in me alchemizing where I've been weak in the warrior is since I was a child, I never felt safe to express anger to my mother. And so like Kyle said with Tosh is that that carried over into every romantic relationship that I've ever been in where my dark magician would find a way to justify, I'm not mad, I'm wise, you know, and I can tap into the spiritual aspect of how this is perfect. And I would never express my anger. And some things happened this year where I felt like my boundaries were transgressed and um, instead of going and hiding in my discipline by going and working, uh, I listened to the inner whisper. I took some LSD, I went out in nature and I really felt into my rage. And I had this epiphany when I was crying in the shower and this happened just maybe two and a half months ago where um, I realized that the four-year-old in me was mad at my mom. And I had never allowed myself to ever express anger towards my mom. <clears throat> and in the shower, in, a, in the visionary space, I allowed myself to be mad at my mom. And then I saw this cascading vision of every moment in a romantic relationship where I had my boundaries transgressed and I had spiritually bypassed my anger to not express it. And I allowed myself to express anger to each of those partners in that visionary space. And then it led me to the first time in my adult life as a 29 year old to cleanly express my anger to my romantic partner in that moment. And I could feel that it was the most important communication that I have ever had with a partner and that it, it healed like a wounded warrior that was first wounded as a four-year-old. And one of the things that I wanna share with people is that the positive aspect of the warrior is the clean articulation and enforcement of boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so where I've been strong is mentally, I'm impeccable as a warrior and where I was weak was actually expressing the warrior as clean boundaries and that was reclaimed this year yeah brother that um is such a beautiful note to lead into um what i want to talk about for the feminine i'm really really passionate about the huntress archetype because i think it is um one of the most the passive huntress is one of the most important things that can be integrated for our collective right now. That's my feeling. And I've experienced this firsthand because I have atrophied away my powers in boundaries, in discernment, in clarity of action. 
um, throughout the course of my life for a couple of reasons. One being I was raised by a very worrisome mother who took away my own ability to be that young warrior and to feel like I would be okay if I was in the wild and I would be okay you know, I, I wasn't resourced to protect myself. I didn't have tools and practices and rites of passage to give myself wherewithal in the wild. And um, for women in general, generally speaking, of course, there are certainly some wonderful examples of wild women out there. Um, between being parented and being a partner to a dominant man, we defer so much in our power and in our decision-making. You know, we might feel our intuition pointing us in one direction, but we wait for the cue of our husband or boyfriend or our environment to give us permission to move in, the, in that direction. And we're separated from the Earth Mother. You know, we are living inside of walls and buildings and wearing stilettos and um, we lose our wild nature. And so for what I've learned about the huntress archetype, the feminine aspect of the warrior, and, you know, the warrior is also a very masculine energy in terms of archetypes. It's that focused action. It is discernment. You know, it is making clean decisions and moving unapologetically into that choice. And so if we have deferred our power for long stretches of our lifetime, uh, that that huntress within gets neglected and we don't feel like we can take care of ourselves. And this um, really woke up for me a few years back when I'd been in a series of monogamous relationships and I had moved out to Las Vegas and I was living on my own and really being by myself for the first time in a while. And I realized, you know, I don't know how to take care of myself in like a survival situation or, Oh, you know, outside really. And like being at home alone in a house will be scary for me a, a lot of the time. And it was really like, whoa, that's not okay. I want, I want to be, um, I want to be able to protect myself and take care of myself. And all of those essential rites of passage are really important for seeding the ground, for being able to trust yourself in the decisions and the discernment that you intuitively have. And that's true for everybody, but I feel for women, it gets, um, it gets bypassed a lot. And so um, one of my favorite quotes and my guiding lights in my conscious awakening is um, by Don Miguel Ruiz, who uses the Artemis myth to articulate his quote of the warrior is the huntress who hunts herself. And that begins with yourself and your own consciousness, like being keeping your sights on where am I deferring my power? Where am I waiting for somebody else to do it for me or to hold the door for me or to make me feel safe? You know, how can I stand my ground, you know, feet in the mud and really feel of this earth and feel equipped to make my own choices and to trust my knowing? And for me, that that whole awakening to that passivity in the warrior archetype changed the course of my life. You know, I started um, a year ago, I did a dieta with Nepal and Sedona. And boy, the first few days I was out there hearing the coyotes howl and um, going out and trying to harvest my own cactus and, you know, feeling the thorns and, and the earth and everything. It was so still so foreign to me. And over the past year, um, I felt afraid. And it was so funny to confront that fear in me that was just had just been cultivated by this separation 
by outsourcing my power and by keeping myself separate from the earth and really leaning into that and the liberation, um, the, the greatness that came on the other side of just sitting in that space with the earth and doing it myself and being, you know, trusting myself and listening to the whispers and moving in that direction has uh, has shifted things tremendously for me. So I had a long stretch of my life where I was, you know, financially too, for so many women, I know, I'll speak for myself. I, I relied on survival for a lot of my adult life by trying to be beautiful. And I didn't really think about it that way, but that was advantageous. And that was just misguided arrows of my warrior. Like, I know that this helps me survive, so I'm gonna do whatever I can to gain this, um, this favor of my environment so I can feel safe. And, and neglecting like the writer within and the medicine woman within and the warrior within because I was I was just queuing off my environment and not my own knowing about how best to survive. So really I had that, but it was coming out as a shadow aspect of like, okay, this feels advantageous. Let me move with this, let me move with this. And then we can get so far lost in that, you know, where we're manipulating how we look and, um, and we don't feel safe. We don't feel like we can provide our own livelihood. We, we're selling out constantly to try to feel safe in a world where we are so fully equipped as warrior queens to take care of ourselves and to trust our own guidance. So I feel really passionate for us as a collective that we start to empower ourselves, you know, hunt ourselves first and then empower other women and other people to trust themselves and move in that direction. A woman. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about rage for a second Ooh. because rage is an yes. aspect of the warrior mm-hmm. archetype. And there's both sacred rage and then there's dark rage. And I think if we don't allow ourselves to understand and experience sacred rage, when it comes, it'll come and completely overwhelm us. I mean, that's part of the actual biological purpose of rage i mean blood for blood rushes to our hands so we're ready to fight it accelerates our adrenaline so time slows down our you know if like if you're if you're like a little stiff and like man i couldn't sprint today i tried okay like um, as soon as that adrenaline hits you can run like a motherfucker Mm -hmm. like your body makes adaptations to this and also your brain you know you get into this different altered state now most of the time it's not because we're running away from a lion or running towards a you know some barbarian marauder or something like that it's a relationship or it's something else that happens but i think it's important to understand how to both process rage that we've repressed also identify where there's sacred rage a cause that's worth fighting for using that as fuel for something you're fighting and then also be able to mitigate the dark rage, which is, I think, actually allowing ourselves to express the repressed rage and then boundaries and, and a variety of different other things. So one thing I'd like to offer, because, I mean, perhaps maybe with the exception of you, Eric, but I know that, you know, myself, you, Caitlin, and you, Kyle, like, we've all expressed dark rage mm-hmm. before. Like, we've all, like, I learned it from my father, you know, I mean, he would corner me in the in the corner of a room and and push me down on the ground and yell at me until he just got exhausted yelling at me right like it was to that to that degree for some triviality and of course there's blessings that come from that and you know i've i've healed so much of that but i had to do a lot of work to heal that but that pattern of expressing rage to that degree and then after allowing my boundaries to be transgressed or when my ego was sensitive 
you know, I carried that in and I had to, I had to work on that. I think, so one of the things that I think is really valuable is tapping into that intentionally, you know, which is a practice that I started engaging in, you know, 20 years ago. And this was actually creating a hypothetical scenario in my mind where I could actually move through that rage. And it started with like, I would play some crazy theatrical Braveheart like music and I would like hit a heavy bag as if I was fighting off a hundred different assailants trying to go steal and raped my loved one. And I would just, and I would just be punching until I was crying and slobbering and like feeling like giving everything I had. And it was like, I could feel it. Like I could feel what that feeling was. The challenge with doing it that way, I still think it can be productive, but it ne- it doesn't quite move through, right? And I think that's a challenge with like when people are like banging pillows or like whacking things with with water noodles and like trying to get it. Like it's somehow there's like a residue that stays in the body. Like it brings it up, which might be helpful, but not necessarily through. And it wasn't until the ecstatic dance practice mm. that I actually found the safest and healthiest way to actually access those feelings of rage and like move through them on the other side something about dance like dancing through that and letting out those roars and having those tears and just dancing rather than actually an act of violence you know against or some kind of ferocious physical thing um seemed to be the best way for me to like access some kind of you know compounded repressed rage release it and then be in right relations with it and and those periods have you know i've seen the dramatic effect over time both with my awareness and also you know instilling more boundaries so i'm not actually compounding the rage and stuffing in my own micro transgressions and micro angers and allowing it to build but also having a a nice conduit where i can actually let out the wild wolf that's within that just or the wild lion that just wants to fucking roar and um so i'd like to just you know open it up to everybody to just chat you know briefly about you know your own experience with rage and like how you felt you know you've been able to uh to really work with it and and have it work for you and instead of against you i want to i want to jump in i know go on yeah on and i have stories <laughs> <laughs> um First, let me just say one of the most helpful things I've learned this year was from Mary Margrave, and she broke down rage, unclean anger, and clean anger. And and really, what this is, is an emotion. And emotions speak to us from the feminine. The feminine doesn't use words or language. That is one of the ways the feminine speaks through our bodies is through emotion. And if we stuff that down, we're ignoring a half of our self, of our high self, right? So if there's a transgression from someone else, or if I allow that transgression to take place, I've transgressed myself in allowing the transgression to take place. That's a double whammy. And oftentimes that is the case. And what she explains is that rage aims to destroy. So if I'm in a state of rage in a conversation with my wife or my children, I have to remove myself from the situation until I can step down the ladder and readdress it. Unclean anger, and this is a big one because you look in our political climate and what we see in the world right now, unclean anger aims to hurt and includes blame blame and resentment are a part of unclean anger and aims to hurt if we move down the ladder to clean anger clean anger aims to resolve it's about resolution and so it this this i was reminded of this as you were talking about that if we embody rage and we use it in a healthy way it doesn't quite move through us 
So whatever that transgression is that allowed rage to begin to boil up, and a lot of that has to do with us allowing the transgression to take place on some level. We are party to this. We agreed in some way to be transgressed in the first place. If we can acknowledge it and sit with it and let the feelings come up, not squander it, then we can have that move down into unclean anger. And you'll know if you're in for unclean anger, if you still have blame and resentment. And then when you get to clean anger is when you can come from the heart and actually address that and have the talks that need to be spoken, whatever words that need to be spoken that come up. But it's always through the lens of resolution. How can I come through that? And through nonviolent communication and many other ways we can approach that. But it's always through resolution in mind. It's always through a compassionate way of communicating with one another. And I think of that, um, you know, on a personal level, I've allowed many transgressions to take place. Same with my, my beautiful partner, Tosh in the canister and container of open relationship you know us saying yes to one another uh and not fully understanding what we're saying yes to you know and realizing that in many ways um we weren't showing up fully for one another you know and then and then allowing yourself yeah or ourselves exactly and that's that was the of all the things that pissed me off the most it's where i had allowed transgressions to take place you know and and uh you know, I had that call with Mary and, and she, I'm not getting super specific here for the protection of people, you know, um, just to honor those and not uh, word vomit and, and, and have any blame. But I went to bed at nine or 10 each night to read and I just fucking boiled until one or two in the morning. And I was like, man, like, when is this going to go away? Am I, this is how I'm going to fall asleep each night? But I, but I sat you can, with you it. can get addicted to Xanax like I did. That's <laughs> <laughs> my solution to, to quell the boiling rage. It was like yeah. I had to fucking go to a poison. I had to take poison every night, and it was the same. It was the same thing, you know. Just to interject, like that's what happens. You have to find some fucking solution. You fucking toughed it out. Yeah, I actually couldn't tough it out, so I had to actually knock my head, knock myself over the head with a fucking pharmaceutical sledgehammer to get some rest for those years because I was in the same fucking boat. Yeah, and and just to finish briefly, like it was it was sitting with that. It was acknowledging it. It was not turning away or stuffing it down. It was actually letting that flood of emotions move through me. And on night four, I went to bed at the same time. And to my surprise, I was out cold and slept like a baby. And then I could communicate in a way about my experience and what had moved through me with clarity and with peace in my own heart. And what came out of me was peace. And in that, there's resolution. And I think that's the way that I've found to move this completely through um, from rage all the way down the ladder to clean anger. And I think until we get to that point where we recognize that within ourselves, through all the programming of, you know, girls don't yell, they're not angry, all mm-hmm. the shit, right? All of it from society, from our parents, until we can see that anything that's a part of us that is within us, it needs to be acknowledged anything that we stuff down and say no to we're effectively saying no to a piece of ourselves and it is allowing that to come through that allows us to be whole again and with that expression we can then learn how to navigate all of the different things in the future and from that we get really clear on what our boundaries are what is the warrior's highest ideal of the kingdom that we're here to protect Mm. what am i serving that actually matters that becomes much clearer in the acknowledgement of all that is in within us Uh Oh, Uh oh, wow. 
Um, yeah, that covers a, that covers it very beautifully. I'll just speak for my experience. I absolutely have been there um, because I've been so passive, because I've been so deferring. Um, there's been a lifetime, really, of of biting my tongue when something felt offensive or like it crossed a line for me. And um, and I've had that rage boil up. You know, it feels very volcanic. And, you know, that Pele energy uh, where suddenly I have lost it. And the way it typically cycles for me is stay silent, stay silent, um, you know, wait, uh, maybe don't say the full truth. And then suddenly there's a volcanic explosion of rage that's so ungrounded and so just so aiming to harm. So not even what I truly feel like, I fucking hate you, you know, like the, just the, the, the volcano of everything I've, I have stuck, tucked, stuffed away and tucked away and swallowed through my lifetime. And one thing, one thing that's really been helpful for me is when rage boils and comes up, sometimes it's taken, um, you know, over, overindulging on uh, certain ameliorants like we talked about last year on the podcast because I was stuffing my rage and my anger and denying my boundaries and trying to numb that discomfort out by with a substance. And so the substance would ultimately lead me to that ungrounded state where the rage could come through. But recognizing too that when the rage comes through, you you know, we talk about sacred rage. It's it's not only it's everything we've experienced through our lifetime a lot of the time. Like some perhaps, you know, something we experienced with a parent, which was like I was too small or too unsure to hold my boundaries or stand up to you. So I just ate it. Or a man is bigger than me. So if he walks by me and says something to me and I'm by myself. I'm not going to say, hey, that's not okay with me because I'm scared. So I'm going to digest that. And I'm holding that through my, the course of my lifetime until it gets to an explosive point. And then we take away the blame for wherever, whatever's bringing it out of us. It's not like you did this to me. It's I have held this my whole life. And now it's coming up like a volcano. And I'm going to let myself purge it and then cry those those gentle tears beneath it that need to be cried and let the like the little girl or the fearful young lady or you know um the innocent self like have her tears and be heard as well but absolutely ecstatic dance has been a fantastic channel for healing that um in a really really healthy and um, beautiful way and i actually put together a women's rage ecstatic dance last year mm -hmm. that Aubrey uh, danced with me too just me and him and um and what i did with that was i had you know i guided the experience through um feeling the masks that you've put on like some part of you is angry that you had to put on that mask even if you did it yourself and you're probably angry with yourself and most of the time we're angry with ourselves for biting our tongues and swallowing these things and then moving into ancestral rage ancestral trauma the 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 what our mothers are holding when they're you know incubating our lives of all the times they've swallowed um those you know those transgressions and our sisters and our friends and the collective and um and honoring our rage for being a transmission of that energy and not letting ourselves get tangled into it because then we get into that shadow huntress which is hyper vigilant super defensive angry at everything and flagging everything because she's so consumed by this rage like let's harness it and channel it through in these different ways where it can be alchemized and really really given the respect that it deserves 
And so um, when you said uh, the three of you have experienced rage and I haven't, like I really kind of felt into my life and it's weird on some level, I feel like I'm fundamentally different in a weird way. And um, I was tracking why, like I was telling a partner a couple of days ago, I've never said something to somebody with the intention to hurt them ever. And whenever I tell people that, they're like, you're, you're lying. And the truth is that I know that I'm not. And when I feel into it, like I was really big as a kid. I would wrestle all the time. I always won. And uh, whenever someone was a bully, I would go bully the bully. And so I, I, I never felt weak as a kid. Um, but because of the way my dad was raised, you know, the way that he would discipline us is he would spank us. And I think if it was observed by a third party, it would be called beatings. And the face he would make when he did it. I remember one time when I was like 18 and I was watching my partner's dog and the dog did something and I hit the dog and I felt myself make the face that my dad made when he would beat us. <clears throat> and I felt so much shame that I did that to, you know, a, a little creature that could not defend itself. And I, I felt it so completely that I knew that I would never do it again. And I felt myself never make that face again. And the thing about rage is it feels like it's what comes up when we aren't okay with what is being and we want to change it. And the thing behind anger is always sadness. And I feel like the reason why I've never expressed rage to a human is because I'm so connected to the sadness behind the anger that I'll cry, I'll feel it, and then I'll articulate my hurt to the person. Like I remember I got cheated on for the first time last year. And because of the circumstances, I had to hold space for both people the entire day. And instead of being angry, I felt my sadness right away. And mm. I sadded at them and I could feel their shock and disbelief because it's weird. Like when people do something wrong, they actually want you to be mean to them so they can avoid feeling <sighs> the guilt of their actions. They want that retribution because they know they deserve to be punished mm -hmm. in their mind. You know, obviously the mind says, I deserve to be punished. So your anger, the lashing whip of your anger, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. can actually serve what they feel they need so they don't have to apply it to themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. You're right. Am I crying at them? Uh, like it forced them to sit in the choices that they made. And then I also felt completely clean mm. the moment it ended and that it allowed me to heal from it in like nine days. And a big part of the healing was I told everybody the story and I wept every time I told it. But it feels like rage is what comes up when what is, you have resistance to it. But behind the rage is sadness. Like, I wish this was different. And I think being connected to the lover allows you to alchemize the shadow aspect of the warrior that wants to destroy. And like, it's also, you tell the story and it's one of my favorite stories, but it's the samurai who was given the order to go kill an assassin. And he goes to kill the assassin and the assassin spits on him. And the moment the assassin spits on him, he puts his sword away and he leaves and the assassin is kind of confused. 
The samurai comes back the next day. The assassin spits on him again, thinking that it will keep the samurai from killing him. And the samurai pulls out his sword and he said, yesterday, when you spat on me, I was angry. And that was not in honor of Bushido. I came back today, I am not angry. And then he kills him. <laughs> and it's, and the, the reason I tell that story is that you never need rage to use clean anger. Like it's, it's not required. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, you know, I think um, <clears throat> we allow, you know, we allow some transgression, whether perceived because our ego is the one that's there to receive the transgression or whether it's actually our embodied self that's transgressing our sacred boundaries and we'll allow these. And it's just like loading up a spring. And one thing I've learned through this process is when, when you feel that, you know, like letting it out then and expressing it honestly then is going to be way better than sitting and ruminating ruminating on it because then you're just loading the catapult with more thoughts and more stories just Mm -hmm. more rocks Mm -hmm. more fucking shrapnel until finally you know either one more thing sets it off and you pull the plug and it's just mayhem and anger always tends to overdo it in that case but it's just like the animal like if we look to the animal kingdom you know if if animals are playing and one animal gets too aggressive let's say cubs you know with their mama you know, and they like bite a little too hard. The mama goes, Zah! or a dog is, Zah! and then it's over. Right. It's done. And then they're like, okay, boundary, got it, mm-hmm. cool. You know, it's not like compounding, letting them go, letting them go, letting them go, and then going into a full roaring tirade where they just corner them in the middle of the den and just roar at them and batter them around. It's just an immediate like, hey, it's my fucking boundary. You know, like, then it's over. And then we can like relax, but it's the fact that we hold this back that ends up punishing not only self because we internalize it and others. And all too often too though, and then instead of doing that, we'll try to actually some repressed form of anger, we'll try to punish them by punishing ourselves. which look at a fucking suicide note, you know, so many times it's like, I'll show you now, I'll show you now how much this hurts because you hurt me and now I'm gonna hurt myself so bad that I'm gonna saddle you with this guilt. And of course, that's not every suicide note, but that's a that's an aspect that you see. And then that's something that we do on a, on a microcosm all the time. Like, let me show you how much you broke me so that I can hurt you back with my guilt. But that's unclean anger. That's trying to hurt by hurting yourself through hurting them. And so there's all of these mechanisms that are at play that we really have to be mindful as we get used to this. And as Kyle was saying, like, keep it as clean, keep it as honest, keep it as real time as possible. And, you know, if we have the mastery, like you were saying, you know, going immediately to the hurt that's underneath rather than the desire for vindication or that thing, like the sooner we can get to that, man, that just resolves everything. Like that's the way to resolve because when you overexpress your anger, you're in this fucking cycle because even if you had something where someone transgressed your boundaries and it's you know something that was genuinely offensive then you overreact i've been there many times you overreact you overdo it and then all of a sudden you're like well i mean you did something that was kind of fucked up but then i responded in a kind of fucked up way so i guess now we're even and you know yeah, we're or back maybe in the same i even cycle. owe you again <laughs> yeah exactly and now i owe you again and now it's, it's in this whole this whole cycle whereas if you actually stay calm and then they continue to transgress then you say look this isn't this isn't working you know like this isn't working at all and and you don't feel the guilt that'll compel you so 
being in right relation with the warrior and the anger aspect of the warrior you know and using it in clean ways and using it as in a sacred rage like i'm going to fight for a better world and i'm willing to put myself in harm's way in order to do that like that's the sometimes the rage we need because anger will give you courage you know that's part of it like the anger gives us courage to say that thing to that person even if it might mean we may lose their love even if it might mean that they won't like us it'll give us courage but it'll always overdo it if we use that as fuel it's the the dirtiest fuel that we got unless it's really channeled and purified in a high octane clean way yeah all of these wake-up calls are opportunities to change how you be so if you have an explosion of rage this is not the opportunity to to cycle back into guilt or you know to feel shameful about yourself it's the opportunity to wake up to all the times that you are unconscious to how you were honoring your boundaries and commit that from now on i'm gonna i'm going to have clean transparent boundaries in every situation and i'm not gonna let this happen again because i love myself that much and forgive yourself for your past transgressions Mm -hmm. you have to because that guilt will create shame and then the shame will blind you to the thing as it's happening in real time and it'll perpetuate the same thing you have to forgive yourself if you're going to help other people you know, because again, guilt creates shame. Shame creates the desire to look away from what you're doing, to justify it in some other way. Well, of course, well, they did this and they did this, but until you forgive yourself and look at it cleanly, you're just gonna keep on going. One of my favorite quotes of all time from the King Arthur myth coming from the Lady of the Lake is that the difference between a man and a king is that a king does not look away. That's right. All right, fam. We had high ambitions for this podcast. We thought we were going to get through king, warrior, magician, lover, and mystic. We made it through king, warrior, and a discussion on rage. And uh, I'm glad we did it exactly this way. So we're going to call this part one of this podcast series. We're going to get back here uh, with fresh, shiny eyes and a new pack of snooze and another hop in. And we'll come back at it again. So thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. And um, and also, you know, this was part of the workshop that we gave uh, at our Sedona Summit for Fit for Service. It was, you know, one of the many powerful moments. Uh, we'll be talking a lot more about some of those moments. Also, the ecstatic dance and the breath work, which is another great way to move through rage. The soul wander, which is going to tap into the feminine intuition of the magician. We'll we'll weave in a lot of the things that um, we discussed there. Also, you know we're here and this is a a deep passion of ours it's a deep part of our purpose is to serve the fit for service community applications are open they're super limited um but man we would all love to meet you guys because everybody we met i mean we just spent time in halloween (laughs) with some of these fucking gems and in sedona and it's just uh again ohana you know it's true a, tribe a real tribe. tribe and uh, so i encourage everybody check it out aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service fill out the application if it calls to you we got a digital app coming soon as well and uh so we can all stay in touch and uh and just share this medicine with as as many people who who desire it thank you so much you guys oh. i fucking love y'all love you too love you all right see you guys next time Thanks for tuning in, fam. We have part two of this podcast coming out next week, exploring the magician slash priestess archetypes, the lover archetype, and the mystic archetype. And we actually get really emotional and really deep in the next one. Of course, we did the same here. It tends to be the case when we all get together. But really, if you get a chance, make sure to check out next week. And of course, thanks again to our sponsors, 
fit for service, aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service, lucy.co with the code word amp and onit.com slash Aubrey. I love you guys and I'll see you next week.